This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And this morning, we're going to talk about gerrymandering. We'll talk about uh, uh, the history of it, what's going on now, and what the future may hold. Uh, Good morning up in Oxford. Professor Gershon, we're so glad you're joining us today. Morning, Liz. It's great to be here. And it's always... uh you know, fun to welcome uh, Hans back as a guest. He has been, Hans Senha has been our guest on previous shows. Um, he is a former prosecutor, a former uh, defender of capital crimes. He, uh, you know, worked in the Met- New Orleans metropolitan area, so he has extensive background in practice, but he's also a great legal scholar. Uh, Hans uh, writes from time to time editorials that have appeared in our paper. Uh, very well-reasoned and uh, a great guest. And so today he's going to talk about Jerry and uh, it's an honor to have him here. Yeah, Professor Sinha, we're welcome back. Uh, you were with us on April 24th when we talked about unsolved civil rights cl- crimes. We're glad that you're going to be back with us for uh, gerrymandering. Welcome. Thank you, Liz. Glad to be here. All right. So uh, gerrymandering, you know, that's one of those funny little words you learn in your civics class, in your government class. Uh, where did the name come from? The word itself is interesting. It is a a portmanteau. In other words, a word blended with the sounds and combining the meaning of other words. For example, motel from motor and hotel or brunt from breakfast and lunch. And gerrymandering is is the same type of word. It comes from back in 1812 when uh, the governor of Massachusetts, a gentleman named Eldridge Gerry, was trying to uh, keep... Uh, his part, the Republican Party at the time, uh, in control over a certain state senatorial redistricting or district. Um, and they came up with a plan to redistrict that area for local election in order to ensure the Republicans won against a Federalist challenge at that time. And the resulting district had such a a uh, strange shape, um, unusual at that point in time, that it's resembled a salamander, the little uh, lizard, a salamander. So the Federalist Papers, after that time, after that was done, uh, started printing cartoons and, and calling it uh, a salamander. And from that came the term uh, gerrymandering, and the together of the last name of Governor Jerry and that salamander. So it's a historical, interesting tidbit the word itself, but then the practice of, of gerrymandering has um, always existed to an extent in our history, maybe not as great in the past, uh, except for certain times, but has really taken off now in modern times uh, to a large extent help with uh, the entrenchment of the two-party political system and the modern uh, technology that really enables people to block by block identify voters 
and thereby also redistrict or shape the political landscape to ensure that the party in power stays in party stays in power. Well, I think uh, the, the the last few weeks, uh, you know, sometimes things just keep uh, coming to your attention. And what's come to my attention is uh, you notice things when they have a name to it. Uh, when you when you have a label and you have a name and, you know, they've come up with the name gerrymandering. So, yes, you, you know, you've said this has been going on for a while, but, you know, now we have a label we can stick on it uh, and. In, in, in America, we call it gerrymandering. Does has this type of thing? America's United States isn't the only one that's had this. Uh, other countries have they had their have their political districts been drawn wonky? Um, probably not to the same extent uh, as we do it here. We're talking now about Western democracies, which are the most similar to to our democracy. Um, most states in Europe. Uh, with possible exception of France, where it appears that the legislatures there draw the district the way we do here. Now, most states in Europe have adopted uh, a, a nonpartisan or, or presumably or an ideally nonpartisan commission type system where the commissions, not controlled by the parties, try to set uh, more neutral boundaries for the legislative districts. And, and there's also differences that our electoral system is a voter winner take all so that we have an election in a district and you get 51.1 percent you win another party gets none of those lost votes so to speak in european democracies partially the parliamentarian democracies they have proportional voting where, where there in essence are in many different ways but it can be a list of candidates for both parties or many parties in the european system they don't they're not two-party systems, and then the people vote for that list, and then certain people, depending on the number selected for a party's list, you go down that list, and maybe one, two, three for that party, maybe four or five for another party get elected. And there are different variations on the proportional uh, electorate system. So, so yes, there are some semblances of gerrymandering in, in our sister states, so to speak, in Europe, but not at all to the same extent as we have here. Well, and Hans, I mean, and, you know, for example, and, and as you mentioned the parliamentarian system, so let's say, you know, the uh, X party gets 3% of the vote. They usually then get some representation. They'll get 3% of the representation. So there's less reason to to, to fudge with, uh, with the districts. Right. So, but it's not as clear cut here where the winner takes all is, is the main difference there. Yeah. But a proportional parliamentarian system is, it's, you know, it's based on a democratic system of one man, one vote. But they um, they try to equalize it a little more. So uh, the 49 percent of votes are not completely thrown out, so to speak. Yeah. So in the United States, uh, a lot of our, except for senators, uh, a lot of our districts are are created, and they are created. Can you t- tell us a little bit about the census and uh, state governments and who creates different political districts? Right. So, so it really goes to to the foundation, to the Constitution. There's what's called an elections clause, which in essence, or doesn't in essence, it says that the time, manner, and place of the 
elections for for state and for the House of Representatives shall be set by the state legislatures. Now, the Senate is, of course, different because we have two senators from each state. Um, so there's no districts to draw there, so to speak. But then stemming from, from the elections clause of the Constitution, it then defers it to the state legislatures who then set the districts and the time and the place and the manner of the election. So it's a constitutional grant, so to speak, from the federal government federal constitution to state legislatures to to um, to run their own elections and um, you know as you have more entrenched political two-party system um, it seems to be almost uh, too tempting for the party in power to to create those districts in order to keep them in power and that's to entrench their, their hold on power and Partly what happens is that every 10 years, against mandated by the Constitution, we have a census in, in this country to ensure that there is a fair uh, division of the people's power in terms of elected representatives. So every year, every 10 years, there is a redistricting uh, process throughout, uh, throughout the land, throughout the states. And then whatever party is in power now... Uh, will then be able to, to some extent, completely or partly, depending on, on the, each state's uh, uh, rules, draw the lines based upon um, ideally how, how, how many people are in his district or, and some other factors, but then possibly cynically based upon what will ensure that party in power stays in power the longest. And again, that has been going on for, for many years. Um, uh, I mean, historically, we didn't really have a two-party system the way we think about it now until after the Jacksonian uh, democratization in the 1830s. Um, but it, it seems that after the 1994 Republican Revolution, and when they took control of Congress and many state houses, it has uh, been kicked into hyperspace, so to speak. And, and gerrymandering is on the forefront of the agenda of a political party and of, of the people's uh, thinking. It can, dis- can this in the long run be good for our democracy? So the state legislatures will create districts to keep themselves in power. What are some uh, political Topics, or what are some uh, reasons uh, that they've benefited from gerrymandering? What, uh, what, how has that helped them stay in power? What it can, can be, um, if, if you look at the, the geographical lines of some of these districts, for example, there's one in North Carolina that is in the news right now because of a federal court decision. But you look at th- throughout, it doesn't have to be just uh, North Carolina. You can look in different districts. And, and they are just bizarrely shaped districts. So they, they go now, again, with computer technology, block by block or, or you know, half a mile and half a mile to ensure that people who vote a certain way are in that district. And there's two ways of looking at it uh, in order to, and again, from a cynical point of view, to effectuate gerrymandering to uh, ensure a trench power stays in power. And it is packing. You can cram as many of your adversary supporters into one or two or a few districts, thereby ensuring that that party wins maybe one, two districts, and the other party in power wins all the other districts. And that might be what some people are saying is happening in North Carolina. Uh, their vote there, based upon a Democratic-Republican, is about 54 55% Republican each year throughout elections, uh, and, and then Democrats are 45%, for example. However, the Republicans have 
if, if one were to believe the, 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 the claims uh, in court, have successfully gerrymandered North Carolina. So they get, they usually win 10 out of the 13 House uh, representative districts. So you got half the population voting one way, yet one party controls 10 out of 13 districts. So that's usually uh, is, is, is achieved through uh, packing, so to speak. That other term is called cracking, where, say, I want to stay in power, but I know that the other party has uh, sufficient electors. I will then scatter those people through other districts, draw the districts, so their votes are diluted, so to speak, compared to my party's vote. So there are many ways of doing it, and, and many times these end up in court. Uh, well, we'll talk about uh, packing and cracking when we come back from our break. Uh, we want to remind our listeners that you can always get uh, uh, information. You can always listen to our show at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. If you miss any of it, we're going to continue with our discussion of gerrymandering. We've got uh, Professor Hans Sinha and Professor Richard Gershon who are discussing uh, it's historical, but it's also extremely relevant now. So if you have a question, give us a call one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. And our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is in Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Uh, I didn't, I've mentioned that if you want to listen to our show, you can listen online at mpbonline.org. You can also listen to our podcast. And In Legal Terms is currently in a battle with Fix It 101 to have the most podcast subscribers. So whatever platform you go to, uh, type in In Legal Terms, find us and subscribe so you can uh, be notified of whenever our new shows come on. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about gerrymandering today. We're so glad that our guest, Professor Hans uh, Sinha is with us, and we were talking about uh, what gerrymandering is, and we're just st- talking about some of the uh, the history of it. And we've had a phone call. We're so glad that uh, Mary from Pontotoc has called in. Go ahead with your call, Mary. Thank you. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for your wonderful programming at MPB. Longtime subscriber. Um, so uh, I'm calling um, about the rights of citizens to do something uh, about gerrymandering. I um, have a relative who lives in uh, Artibaha County, and she was telling me that the district that she is in, um, as you know, Artibaha County is in northeast Mississippi, but that the district um, Salamanders down to Adams County, which is in Natchez, and um, and um, this was done uh, uh, to to dilute the black vote. So, what can um, uh, we as ordinary citizens do to 
reverse this uh, gerrymandering situation? Well, Mayor, I, th- I think that's a great question, and and uh, I think people, voters, citizens across the land now are starting to sense that we reach maybe a tipping point where we have to do something about gerrymandering, and, and it is not a lost cause. Um, uh, there there are examples that whenever this question uh, is put to the vote of the people, for example, in a statewide referendum, should the political parties be in charge of drawing their own? Uh, districts, or should we give it to an independent commission? The voters all always overwhelmingly say, "Let's do the right thing and give it to an independent commission." For example, in 2008 in California, there was a proposition, and they can have constitutional amendment propositions much more easily than we can. But it was a proposition on the ballot there for all the people in California to vote, and they overwhelmingly, I think, 60 plus some percentage says, "Let's remove this from the control of." of setting our districts from the politicians who have a self-interest of stay in power to an independent commission. They created uh, an independent redistricting commission composed of 15 members, five Democrats, five Republicans, and five uh, non-party affiliated. Same thing in Arizona. When it was put to the vote, they say the people overwhelmingly say, give us back our control of our districts. It was removed from the politicians. Not that the politicians in any way are, 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 are not trying to do the right thing, but it just seems in human nature, once you're in power, you want to stay in power. So the question is that, the answer to your question, Mary, is that yes, there is a way to remove this, to, to in essence not have the fox guard a hen house, but have the people come back in power and draw the, the districts, and that is, as, as by examples of California and Arizona, is to create independent, nonpartisan uh, committees to do so. Uh, but to do that, um, I mean, to, to take power away from power where, where it lies, uh, it has to be a strong push by the, uh, the citizenry and saying, you know, we're not against the, the elected officials, but we want to make you all better. We want you to govern better, and to do so, it might be better if we have an independent commission setting our districts. Can that be done by, uh, uh, you know, referendum, by uh, citizens getting uh, a uh, petition with a certain number of signatures? Yes. Uh, I think each state has a different in terms of uh, well, one could be done by just contacting your elected official and hoping that they do the right thing on their own. But um, that may not be successful. Then would be by referendum, getting petitions. Um, and, and I'm not familiar exactly what it takes to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot or a petition on the ballot statewide for Mississippi. But. Uh, there is a process in every state from doing so. And, and I feel absolutely certain. And if something was done in that regard, uh, a movement started and put on the ballot, Mississippi, as all other states, would most likely overwhelmingly vote for removing this from the politicians and giving it to an independent commission. There, there is no downside in terms of our democracy doing that. Uh, there's just an upside uh, in terms of our democratic process. Thanks, Mary, for your call. I, I know in the federal legislature, Often, if there's if they're faced with a tough decision, they'll say, well, this will take effect in two, five, ten years that because they know that uh, the power could shift. Maybe that would be uh, a way for current 
uh, elected officials, that way they would get to save their seats and, you know, that you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And if it makes your constituents happy uh, to to change it, that that could be a way to influence our current legislators to uh, have us redistrict. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's poss- I mean, absolutely a, a possibility. Um, I and mean, it seems that any possible solution, any change, uh, might be uh, only for the good at this point. We seem to be in, in a downward spiral in terms of gerrymandering and uh, entrenching power in one party. So uh, putting in the future so the people who are voting on it now, meaning the elected representatives, will not be personally affected, uh, might be um, a step in the right direction. Hans, do you think, too, I mean, one of the things that we find is voter apathy. Not not enough people go to vote. And part of it might be, you know, this feeling that my vote is going to be wasted anyway. If I'm in a district that I know is going to vote a certain way because it's been gerrymandered to do that. I mean, I think a lot of people feel that way to some extent in federal elections where, you know, there's the electoral college. And if you're in a state where you pretty well know where the state's going to vote, you kind of think, well, you know, even though I may be adding to the popular vote total for one candidate, I'm not really going to. Uh, have much effect in electing that candidate from my state. So uh, do you think there's a similarity there? I think that's definitely one of the, the corrosive effects. I mean, there are many, but the cynicism that, that uh, political gerrymandering breeds among the population is it, it, it breeds and, and feeds on itself, meaning that gerrymandering really dilutes someone's vote or power to, to, to have an effectual say in our political process, which leads people to think, of why should I even participate, which then entrenches the power who created our district in the first place, and it just spirals out, out of way. I mean, the, the corrosive effects are the cynicism, creates safe districts for politicians. It truly discourages bipartisanships. Uh, reaching across the aisle is no longer part of our political process to a large extent because of gerrymandering. Breeds distrust, dysfunction, hostility with the vis-a-vis the voters and elected representatives both ways. Uh, so it, it is in many ways the political party, two-party system taken to the extreme. Um, and, and while we have benefited from a two-party political system for a long time, there, there are downsides of such as well. And there's also, remember, the founding fathers, uh, I mean, James, James Madison, Hamilton, even Washington in his farewell address in 1796, they all warned of, of uh, partisanships and parties. They, they trusted them. Uh, I think Madison called the party system a disease. So uh, from the beginning, the, the people who created this, this great nation republic uh, saw some issues and potential downfalls from uh, the party system. This morning on In Legal Terms, we're talking about gerrymandering with uh, Professor Richard Gershon and Professor Hans Senha from the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you'd like to call in, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Well, Professor Sinha, you talked about um, how California and Arizona uh, are going to have independently drawn districts, uh, or they voted to have that. What what would they look like? What would they would they go by geography? Would they go by race? Would they go by um, political? What? I guess, and I suppose this is also an opinion. What do you think a 
uh, it fairly drawn district might look like. Yeah, and that's uh, I mean that's that's hitting the, uh, the the core of this question. How do we draw districts that are fair, so to speak? Um, I mean, one suggestion, for example, in Mississippi would be to say. Uh, we can be represented by anyone. It doesn't have to be someone who thinks like us or looks like us. And we could just divide Mississippi into for, for the House representatives, uh, four, draw two lines and just have four blocks, so to speak, and, and then say that we're all Americans. We can all be represented to the best effect by, by one person. That might be idealistic, uh, considering that people are people. But um, in the middle of the 1960s, the Supreme Court had issued a series of decisions to kind of help us clarify what standards the state should be looking for when they created legislative redistricting. And at that point, it was to a large extent to push back against racial gerrymandering. In essence, districts were drawn to disenfranchise black folks. That's just what, what happened uh, historically. And so based on those rulings, um, we look at um, some principles. One is contiguity, meaning that areas within a district should be physically close and adherent, not drawn out like very long and going around certain sectors of, of, of cities, but it should be one block, so to speak, compactness, that people within a district should really be living together in, in the same area. Community interest it could be, you know, if you're drawing a district, maybe draw it along a boundary of a, a geographical boundary, a river or a city or a county. But those things, when you look at them at, in terms of a, a properly drawn, dis- drawn district, and then you look at some of these crazy salamander-shaped districts, and common sense just kicks in. I mean, you can just say, no, this, should, this is not a district. This district was drawn to perpetuate someone's interest, whether it's racial or political, and this other district was drawn just to have people vote as they were envisioned to vote by founders. Um, but it, it is not an easy process, which is specifically, I think, why it should be removed from the politicians. Let's, let's let them have the deal with other issues. Let's have someone who is not uh, have a self-interest in this process uh, make these hard decisions. All right. Well, when we come back from our break, we'll continue our discussion about gerrymandering and we'll talk about uh, what has gerrymandering gotten us into? Uh, How does the how is the United States? What kind of state is it in today from having uh, these squiggly uh, district different districts? Our number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send us an email our address is legal terms at mpbonline.org if you'd like to uh, participate in our show you're listening to in legal terms on mpb think radio This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert, and he, we, he, we are joined by our guest, Professor 
Hans Senha. And this morning, we're talking about a gerrymandering. We'd love for you to give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. But now we're talking about gerrymandering, and we're talking about um, the the... Currently, what's what's going on with gerrymandering, um, Professor Sinha? I don't. I know. Uh, within the time I've lived in Mississippi, uh, we've gone from five uh, U.S. House seats to four. So that caused re, uh, redrawing of those. So you know, this is in people's people's minds. Was there? Uh, I, I was that redrawn to keep safe seats. Yeah, was we only have four. Would now have four districts. I think it was a two thousand. It went from five to four, um, and uh, I think we're fairly unique in the sense that that we have fairly strong or, or strong lines, direct lines in terms of our blocks. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm certain there was some kind of thoughts in, in the people's mind who created those districts in terms of uh, entrenching power, party in power. Um, but historically, I think the first, uh, so, so our state is one where the represent or the state legislatures create the, the districts. So they usually appoint uh, what's called a joint legislative committee on reapportionment. And you can look at the membership of that part of that committee in 2000 and then 2010, based on those two censuses, uh, and also in terms of who was in control of uh, the state uh, uh, legislative. So we, after a 2000 census, um, we were, I guess you can say, a two-party system at that point. And uh, the legislative committee reimportion consisted of 19 Democrats and five Republicans. And that then shifted after the 2010 census. Uh, the party, the legislature had flipped completely. And in essence, we are now a, a one-party system. But the reapportionment committee after 2010 committee, uh, instead of having 19 Democrats and five Republicans, now had then had 15 Republicans and five Democrats. So I'm not saying that anyone did anything wrong there, but, you, but one can see just from those numbers standing back as a neutral observer that it's clearly as a politically party-driven process. Uh, maybe those 15 Republicans and five Democrats or 19 Democrats and five Republicans should be maybe some de- Republicans, some Democrats, and majority nonpartisan folks who can then draw uh, draw our districts. Now, we're coming up in 2020, and, and there's going to be a new, uh, presumably, Joint Legislative Committee and reapportionment. And um, uh, if, if one were to take a, a bet, I, mean, I, I would bet that it's going to be a vast majority Republicans because the Republican Party happens to be in, in power. Now, some may say that's the way it should be. Other people thinking maybe a little further down the line in terms of, of, of us as a democratic republic say, well, maybe it should not be the party in power who controls the districting. Uh, but to your specific question, uh, I don't think we will be, unless the census comes out really, really different than we are expecting, uh, we're not going to be changing from, for example, four to three uh, congressional districts. So I doubt there's going to be very much redistricting done, uh, maybe some tweaking after the 2020 uh, census. Well, and that's why it's our United States census is is so important. It you know will change uh, population shifts and uh, reflect uh, 
where does the I don't know if you know if the census asks political parties uh, they're they're having that d- discussion on whether the census should ask um, uh, citizenship, but I guess they can find out from uh, voting if uh, if what areas, what streets, what houses uh, the individuals vote, what party they vote for. Right, and, and that's part of the process which has kind of kicked this issue into hyperspace. I mean, the, the, the voter data was always available, but you would have to go down to the York County clerk or, or whoever kept the voter data and just sit and manually look through those cards and, and identify voters a certain way and, and, and then set up your your political plans as far as the future. Now, it is all instantaneously accessible by computers, and with the computer technology, uh, which some say is a good thing, some say may not be so good in the long run, we can really identify voters uh, not just block by block, by house by house, which when if you then take that uh, information, then if I wanted to gerrymander district to make sure that I stayed in power, for example, I can do so much more efficiently. So, uh, so, so while technology is um, in many ways a good thing, um, it, it enables someone also to use that information to his or her own self-gain as opposed to what's good for the republic. All right, and we have a call, and if you have a question or a comment about our topic, gerrymandering, you can also call in. Our number is 1-877-672-7464, or if you prefer, you could send an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Sue from Beaumont, thanks for calling in. Go ahead. Thank you. I'd like to ask a couple of questions, but first I'd like to tell a professor I like his Dutch accent. (laughs) But anyway, this is my question. We know how he explained how gerrymandering got started, but how can it be stopped? I mean, there's there's got to be some kind of law that Congress or somebody can pass to stop that insanity. It's just stupid, this gerrymandering thing. Uh, so, so could, you, could you repeat your question again? I'm sorry. Isn't there some way that this gerrymandering can be stopped? I mean, we oh. know how it got started, but what's what's the problem that it cannot law can't be passed that it that it can't be stopped? Yeah. Well, first, thank you for that that accent. It's actually a Swedish, uh, not a Dutch accent, but they're they're very close. Uh, but um, I, because the election clause is in the federal constitution, um, we cannot just or should we want to even just pass a law saying this has to be stopped and such such way. And that's why it really, but, but the, the, the election clause in the Constitution then gives the power or transfers the power to the state legislatures. So the state legislatures can then set the time, manner, and place so the states uh, can, and it really needs to be the states um, who, who create a solution to this. Now, that may be difficult because, again, this really is like the foxes guarding a hen house. So how do we get the foxes to, 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 to shift their tactics, so to speak? Um, but a solution will most likely, and, and it has to be a solution. I don't think we can continue in this way and, 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 re, and re, remain as, as a successful republic. Um, so the corrosive effects of gerrymandering has to come from the, the solution to those effects, have to come from the people on a statewide basis. Now, there's a theoretical possibility we can have a constitutional federal amendment to 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 uh, change the election clause language, but that is 
probably, very unlikely, in my opinion, not a good idea. Um, they'll be capitulating to that we cannot govern ourselves, and I think we can govern ourselves. But there has to be a groundswell from the citizenry saying, um, and no offense to our political leaders, you guys are all great people, but we just want to help you uh, uh, legislate in a better way uh, for the good of people and republic and not for the good of, of your self-interest. So, short answer, no. There is no one no. quick fix to this problem. There's not. Can I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am. Uh, it, I, I'm a political ignoramus, so could you explain what these red states and blue states are? Uh, that, that all got started, and I have no idea what that means. <laughs> what does it mean? How do you know if you're in a red state or a blue state? What yeah, does that I mean? think, uh, actually, I do not know where the color denomination came from, but it's come to, to signify a red state meaning a Republican-controlled uh, and or leaning state, and a blue state signifying a Democratic-controlled or leaning state. It, it may just be that those were the colors that look best on TV and they came from the TV shows. I don't know, intellectual results. Um, but wherever the color, coloration came from, um, uh, so, so when you speak of a red state, that's generally thought of as a Republican state. When you speak of a blue state, that's generally thought as a Democratic state. Uh, see, I just love Google. I love Google. <laughs> NPR did a story on that uh, in 2014, and it did. you were correct, uh, Professor Sinha. It got started on television, the original electronic visual, when NBC, the first all-color network, unveiled an illuminated nap, map in 1976 John Chancellor was the anchor, and he explained how the states were going to be blue if they voted for Republican Gerald Ford and red if they voted for Democratic challenger Jimmy Carter. So some arbitrary person at NBC was the person who decided uh, uh, red for Democrat and blue for uh uh, for uh, Republican. For, the other way around. Oh, yeah. Red for Republican. Red for Republican. For yeah. I do want to point out that they are not white and maroon. But they are blue and white, uh, blue and uh, blue and red, yeah. which uh, represents the University of Mississippi colors. Just want to point that out. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to take our next break. Uh, we're going to have we've got one more uh, segment left today. To so get your calls in if you have a question about gerrymandering. Uh, we'll talk about uh, what's in it for the future, what's going on right now, um, and you know if if there's anything we can do about it. Our number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. And our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome. 
Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you miss any of our program, you remember you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as is all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guest is Professor Hans Sinha. We're talking about gerrymandering. Professor Sinha and Professor Gershon, Jay White is our engineer here, and he has a love of statistics, and I have a deep love of maps. So we've uh, we've joined together, and he's uh, handed me the, the map of our Mississippi uh, congressional districts, and we do think it's quite interesting that all the way down in Wilkerson County, uh, uh, Natchez, all through there is the same uh, congressional representative as Mississippi State University, the the line uh, kind of diagonals like a pageant sash. Uh, it also, in, I live in Northeast Jackson, which is included in that in District Three, but not the rest of Jackson, which is part of the Delta. And Southern Madison County is in that, but not uh, Northern. Uh, part of Madison County, Canton and all are in, in the Delta. It's, it's, it's interesting to look at these maps to go state by state or to go street by street to see uh, who, what district a, a, a person's house is in. And I think, Liz, that's a great um, uh, observation. I think a lot of the citizenry would be surprised if they actually looked, if, if we took the initiative to look at our own districts, the districts in Mississippi, for example, only four are fairly easy to look at. And then start question, why why is this district drawn in such a way? Why is this line here? And and if there's no common sense solution to it or, or, or self explanatory explanation, then it's probably gerrymandering. And and it could be for gerrymandering for what people thought are good purposes or or, or um, uh, non good purpose, so to speak. But I think the start would be for every citizen to take a interest in how Republicans run and look at our districts. Just look at a map of our districts and, and if people say, Well there might be something uh, fishy here uh, then to take the next step and as um, I think it was uh, Mary who called in from from uh, and said what can we do about it then I'll be contact your your elected officials and and maybe uh, uh, advocate for independent commissions you know and and I was gonna say in a worst case scenario as we've seen there have been uh, there's been litigation that goes as far as the U.S. Supreme Court to determine, especially lines that are drawn on, along racial boundaries, you know, because if the attempt is to limit the African-American vote, for example, the impact, then that, that would be something that uh, litigation could help resolve. Uh, Professor Gershon, do you know, uh, can you give us any historical perspective? What are some uh, instances where it has uh, gone to litigation on uh, boundary drawings? Well, that, I mean, North Carolina is the most recent one. Uh, you know, the, there's a, a line that goes straight down I-85, basically, that incorporates, even though there's about about 22 percent of the population of North Carolina is African-American, 64 percent of the African-American vote is in one district. And so that it seems clearly that what North Carolina is trying to do is restrict that vote maybe to one district. Uh, and that, you know, that waters down the vote of a, you know, a, a distinct minority in, in North Carolina. All right. Well, we have a call. We'd like to go to Florence. Roger, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead. 
Well, this is not quite off-subject. It's a wonderful subject, and thank you for addressing it so well. I'm a, I'm a fan of your programs, and this is one of the best. hope we can do something about it. Uh, don't forget that the district that involves the Delta also reaches all the way into West Jackson, and it was created to create an advantage for the black majority of that area. And you could say that sometimes gerrymandering is good and sometimes it's bad. I think the result is always bad because it's all designed to help uh, voter blocks. So thank you for the subject. My comment is that I think two or three times the professor has said something about the Constitution uh, granting to the states certain rights, but I think that the emphasis ought to be historically that the states had <laughs> great reservations about the federal government and the Constitution and its amendments were designed to not to grant powers to the states, but to restrict powers of the federal government. The federal government was granted powers and limited. The states had the power, and it was not the Constitution giving the states certain powers. That comment uh, stuck out to me as a as a uh, constitutionalist. But I know it wasn't intentional, but I think that ought to be clarified for your listeners. Thank you. I'm hanging up. Um, and I want to say, Roger, I, I fully agree with you, and I, I did not mean to uh, use the terms I used to to. Tr- tip our, our system on its head, so to speak. Clearly, I mean, the 10th Amendment speaks clearly to that, and the power emanates from the people and granted from the states to the federal government. So my, my word choice was incorrect, and Roger, I, I stand corrected, and, and you're fully, <laughs> no, no, fully you're, right. You're doing a beautiful job. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, Professor Sinha, we have three minutes. Uh, what do you want to leave us with about gerrymandering? Well, I think, and I think we started talking about how other nations do things. I think many times uh, we, or any nation, we we, uh, get set in our ways and think it's the only way of doing things. And gerrymandering uh, had reached a point where cynicism has has, uh, become a groundswell. We think that that's the only way to do it, and we cannot change it. And the, the few examples, California, Arizona, they say there is a different way of doing it. Uh, I think it's a breath of fresh air and something that we should all uh, be considering. Um, and gerrymandering has a negative connotation. Sometimes it's used to empower certain people, for example, Mississippi, uh, to, to ensure we have an African-American block, so to speak, whether that's right or wrong. But it could be used to dilute also uh, and, and entrench uh, power. But the beginning would be like what you did, Liz, to look at our districts and say, does this make sense from common sense? And if not, maybe uh, uh, explore some possible uh, solutions. And uh, while our sister states, democracies in in Europe and our parliamentarian parliamentarian proportional type electoral system most likely will not work here, and I'm not advocating that, but I I am thinking that um, independent commissions after a 2020 census might be the way to go state by state and and remove this from the legislatures. And I would also think that legislatures, individuals, would say, well, thank God, I don't have to deal with this. Let the people appoint a commission and let the ships fall where they may, and and we will go forward as a stronger uh, republic and democracy. Well, as in everything in America, you either need to make your voice known by using your voice or using your pocketbook or using your vote. 
All right. Well, this is going to wrap us up for today for In Legal Terms. I thank Michelle McAdoo as our call screener today and Jay White as our engineer and map finder. Uh, we appreciate uh, uh, Professor Richard Gershon. You're, you're our engineer up in Oxford now. Is that right? Well, yeah, with, with some good help from Paul Bennett, but they, they taught me how to turn the machine on, so I can do that. Excellent, excellent. Another skill set to fall back on if this legal business doesn't work out for you. That's and right. We appreciate Professor uh, Hans Senha for being our guest today. Uh, they're both from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.